You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. If you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1. And if you uh, need a little help there, of course, there is the table of contents in your Bible. uh, So feel free to use that. It's in the New Testament, the second half of your Bible. And of all of Paul's letters, this is the longest. So it should be one of the easiest to find, hopefully. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're beginning a series this morning covering the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, and the series is entitled, A House Divided. A House Divided. The last six years um, in our country, as we think about the elections and things that are happening in politics, and of course, who could forget the pandemic and all that came along with that, um, and all of the hot-button cultural issues that are out there right now, uh, the last six years in our country, at least in my mind, are some of the most polarizing that we've seen. Of course, there's been other times in our country where we've been very divided over one issue or another, and sometimes handling multiple issues at one time, but Never before, at least in my memory, have we had the the case in America that we have so many different fault lines, seemingly that we can't agree on much of anything. One might say in America, there's more that actually divides us than unites us, even though we are the United States of America. Sadly, many of those divisive issues over the course of the last six years or so, and really many of these are just the exposing of issues that have been there for a while. Sadly, many of those politically divisive issues in the, in the country, in the culture, have actually become theologically divisive issues in the church. Many of those things about who to vote for, about whether to get vaccinated, about when to wear a mask, all those kinds of things have come into the church and they've caused as much debate in the church as perhaps we see in the culture. And we've moralized them and made them theological issues. And though they have theological components to them, we've been guilty, as guilty as the world about arguing within the church. And I would say to you that in many ways the church in America is perhaps more divided than we've ever been before. A house divided. How many of you have seen either a license plate or flags outside of a home? 
and that flag is divided in half, or that license plate is divided in half. You've seen the flags that I'm talking about, license plate? How many of you have one or have had one in the past? Some of you probably should, yeah. yeah. House divided, right? And on one side of that line is Florida, and the other side of that line is Florida State, or Alabama and Auburn, or Ohio State and Michigan, or you pick your rivalry, right? We all know what it means, and oftentimes uh, we try to resolve that conflict in the home, and it doesn't happen very well, So, especially when the game's on the line, right? Any other time, it's just all in good fun, but when, it, when the game's on the line, that's when it counts, right? Almost drawing blood over those arguments. Uh, sometimes even within the same family outside of the home itself or extended family, we know what that looks like to have a house divided, right? And then we put that... We put that license plate on the front of our vehicle because one side of the car is, is one side of the rivalry and the other side of the car is the other side of the, the rivalry, right? We know what that looks like. Sadly, there are many churches where perhaps the same kind of thing should be posted on the front door. A house divided. And we take sides and we develop camps And perhaps sometimes in the church, we're more defined by what divides us than we are by what unites us. And so we must carry the banner. My prayer is that that would not be true among us. My prayer is that Southwide will be known more by what unites us rather than what divides us. Now, let me be clear. That doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. And that's okay. It's okay not to agree on everything. But there is something, one thing in particular, that does unite us, and we must be made known by that. And so toward that end, and because we don't have any division problems here, right? This is just kind of maintenance. So toward that end... As you pray with me and as we look to God's word, let's stand together in honor of the reading of his word and look at a proper perspective. Just the first three verses this morning, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, there is so much to be said concerning this topic of division and unity and what it looks like for your church to be together. And so I pray this morning that you would, even as we just begin this journey, that you would be among us, that your presence would be here, that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts, would make us receptive to Your Word. I pray that He would guide us into all truth. I pray that we would have 
clarity on what is here and that you would guard our thinking from what is not here. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see 1 Corinthians in a mirror, not just with a pointed finger. And God, may your church honor you this morning and as we walk through this book. I pray that there would be a supernatural unity among us whereby the Holy Spirit unites us in the gospel. Lord, we recognize that there could even be conflict here this morning. And there will be conflict in the coming days. Help us to navigate that according to your word. And help us to honor you in the way that we treat one another. And in the way that we obey you. And even as I pray these things, God, I'm reminded that there may be some among us who are not of us. Not because they are pushed out by us, but because the very nature of the gospel divides, separates the sheep from the goats. And so I pray for the one or two or three or more that are gathered here this morning among us who do not know Jesus. That this very day they would sense both their separation and that they would hear the call of Christ upon their life and be saved. You alone can do that. So we pray that you would move Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, 1 Corinthians, like much of the New Testament, if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, is a letter. Paul wrote many letters and they're contained here in what we call the New Testament. And so what we've just read is the greeting of the letter. And it's a little different than Dear Abby. Right. right? We we know what a letter looks like in our day. They were different in the New Testament day. Prolonged greetings that were intended not just to say hello, but to actually communicate some things to create a, a framework with which to understand really the rest of the letter to state some things, some realities that are applicable to what is being said in the rest of the letter. And so in order to understand what's being said, we've got to know some things about who's being spoken to and who it is that is writing. Namely, it is a letter from the Apostle Paul and Sosthenes with him to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a relatively new town in the first century, the New Testament world it was a town in Greece. In Paul's day, it was only about 100 years old. It had been reestablished. Um, it was destroyed and then rebuilt, but it was relatively new at this stage. You might call it New Corinth. It's about 50 miles to the east of Athens. Athens, a very well-known city in Greece. But already, even though it was so young, it had become a very... A famous and important commercial center. So much like America where people come and, and they go, it had become a melting pot of culture. Various religions and various backgrounds all gathered together in one place. The diverse population of the day would have been somewhere around the population of the city of Atlanta. About 400,000. Atlanta is about 500,000. That gives you an idea so you can imagine a city with such great diversity, Corinth was also a city of great sin. In particular, Corinth was a place where sexual immorality was rampant. 
In fact, there was a temple in the city that was dedicated to the god Epaphrodite. It was the god that was in charge of, so to speak, of sexual pleasure in the Greek culture. It said that there were over a thousand priestesses in this temple and their explicit job was essentially prostitution in the temple. And that's hugely important when we get to the latter part of what is there at Corinth. But you see the picture of sinfulness in this city. But despite the sinfulness, God was doing something in Corinth. Isn't it interesting that in the midst of the darkest days and the darkest of cultures that God still does a mighty work? And he's doing that here at Corinth. Paul had visited Corinth on his second missionary journey and he came to live for the time in the house of Aquila and Priscilla, a Christian couple that had been there. They were making disciples. They were evangelizing the lost. And for about 18 months, these people, hand in hand, planted a church and began to see God just do amazing things. Sosthenes, who's mentioned here in the first verse, was the ruler of the synagogue. And it seems that even Sosthenes came to faith in Jesus. God was saving people and this church became vibrant and as influential as the culture was in the day in Corinth, so was the church. And God was doing an amazing thing. But sometime after, when Paul left Corinth, Likely within the next year, we believe that this book was written, this letter was written sometime while Paul was in Ephesus, which was the next port of call. Sometime while he was there, he he heard from the house of Chloe, this group of people were beginning to infight. They were beginning to fight over all kinds of different things. In fact, Paul caught wind of some of those things and included in this news was some questions. Hey, Paul, we want you to settle this debate among us. And that debate was one debate, two debate, three debate. There's quite a few questions that Paul had to settle among the church at Corinth. And most of the time, interestingly, he didn't answer them in either way. One of the groups wanted him to answer It's oftentimes the case. Whenever we're fighting about something, we don't care about the real answer. We just want to win. So Paul says, I'm going to write to you, but here's my main purpose. Chapter 1 and verse 10. You ought to underline this, by the way. We're not going to unpack this this morning, but this is the main purpose of the book. Verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree Boy, that's a miracle inside a church, isn't it? All of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And Corinth wasn't like us. Corinth Corinth didn't have everything together, right? No, I'm joking. Man, tough crowd. Corinth, Corinth didn't have it all together, right? Verse 11, for it has been reported to me, By Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Imagine that. Imagine that. So that's the plea. The plea to the church at Corinth is not just, by the way, to the church at Corinth. It's the plea to the church in general that we would agree together. It doesn't mean that we're going to agree on all things, but it is to find unity. The the place of agreement so that we can put the main things out front and agree on those things, and those points of disagreement don't become points of disunity. Do you hear, you hear me this morning? The things that we don't necessarily agree about, that aren't first and of first importance, 
Those things we can say, we can let those things stand, but we can still love one another. That's what Paul is calling to the church to be. Be united in the same mind and the same judgment. But notice that he doesn't begin there. The plea for unity in the church doesn't begin with pleading for unity in the church. He begins with a greeting. And he's doing more, as I said, than just greeting the church. He greets them, and watch this now, a completely unique way. He greets them differently than he greets any other church in the New Testament. And that's significant. You don't find this kind of language anywhere else in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul. And he not only does it, he does it at the beginning. When he's trying to set the framework for what he will, un- he will lead the rest of the church to understand throughout the rest of the book. He gives it context. And since Corinth obviously has the wrong perspective, he's trying to give them a proper perspective on how to approach this issue among them. Let's set our issues aside for the moment and let's just deal with the fact that you've got issues. We have to see the world not through the lens of our issues, but through the lens of the kingdom. What is the priority of the kingdom? Read it again with me. Verse 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And here's the unique part. Together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. That's the unique part. It's not that he identifies them as believers, that he normally does. But this togetherness, and not only including in the togetherness the church at Corinth, but all people, all Christians, in every place. Nowhere else does Paul do that. That's the framework he wants them to understand their lives through and their church through. The church at Corinth with all the other churches in every place. It's this universal church. And he says, Corinth, in light of who you are, among all of these other churches, be unified. Now, if you're a church in a town of 400, 450,000 people, and you're the first church in that town, then you're the first Baptist. You're the first Methodist. Oh, there could be seconds, but there ain't going to be another first. We, we are it. If you want to be in church in Corinth, you come to the church at Corinth. We're first church at Corinth. They think they're something. They're a big deal. They even have to be reminded in chapter 2 when we're coming to this that it's not them who is anything. It's ultimately even the Spirit of God that's teaching them. Remember that Greece was a place of 
learning. It's not that they figured it out. It's the Holy Spirit showed them. They had to be taken down off of their prideful platform. They're so self-absorbed and self-centered that they could not set aside their differences long enough to see that, listen to this now, that the kingdom of God was bigger than them and just their church. And Paul is over there at Ephesus and God's doing some amazing things. And think about it. If you just take the church at Corinth and they just go, look at the look at the rest of what's happening in the world, Corinth. I mean, God's doing great things in Ephesus and at Galatia. He's doing great things in Philippi. Man, all of this started at Antioch before you even knew who Jesus was. They had become so self-absorbed and so centrally focused that they forgot that there was an entire multitude of people in every place that were confessing the name of Jesus. And what does Paul mean by that? Well, he used the same language in Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, you know it, can you complete it, will be saved, right? These are saved people. Paul is saying, Corinth, the world is much bigger than you and your petty problems. The kingdom of God is so much greater than everything that you're fighting over. Lift up your eyes and see the kingdom. See the universal church. And we could even go on to say, not just here in the world in this year, but in every generation, God is doing something amazing that is much bigger than us. And if the Lord tarries, He will continue to do things for the sake of His kingdom and His will and His glory in every nation, in every place on the planet when we no longer are breathing. Fact is, God doesn't need us at all. There are far more and far greater things that unite us than there are trivial things that divide us. And if we were to just get our minds off of the petty and onto the preeminent, the divisions would seem to just fade. So here's what I want you to get. The gospel that unites us is so much greater than anything that could ever divide us. I want you to hear this, church. The gospel that unites us is so much greater than anything that could ever divide us. And that is so true and so unchanging. In as much as the gospel is unchanging, the gospel is the the very worth and the very power that says, I'm willing to move beyond anything that's dividing us in the moment because the gospel's greater. Because the blood of Jesus is sufficient. Because people being saved and Jesus' name going to the ends of the earth is far more important than me being right Or then whatever offense that I have. This is what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. Sometimes our lens is far too narrow. Any of you know anything about photography? We got a few photographers in the room. Some freelance people. Things doing, getting started and all that. You zoom way in. And you only see the narrow focus of what's happening in the lens. And sometimes you lose perspective 
And you've got to zoom back out and see the wide view. And we can't see it completely as God sees it. But we certainly can have kingdom eyes and perspective matters. So the gospel is what unites us and it is greater than anything that could divide us. Now, even saying that, we've got to be careful. And I think that it's worth noting that that Paul does not include everybody in the text whenever he talks about unity. Paul's very specific about who he's talking to, isn't he? While he argues for togetherness, he does not argue for togetherness with all. We divide over all kinds of issues, don't we? Programs, disagreements we had ten years ago, hurt feelings this past week, neglected ministry needs, how we set up our facility. All these things play into the arguments in the church. Add to that all the arguments that you have as a family or sisters fight and all that. All that happens, right? But there is... A specific thing that we must be united around and that we must divide over if it's not true. And that is the gospel. There is one thing that must remain. And it is Jesus. And Jesus is worth dividing over. Even God Himself will separate the sheep from the goats. There is a division over believers and unbelievers. And there's coming a day where the world will be made up of only believers. Because there's coming a day when God will bring all things together in His kingdom. And everyone will have trusted in Christ on that day. And those who did not will spend forever separated from Him. There is a division and that's why he says in verse 2, to the church, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, those called to be saints, those who call upon the name of the Lord, their Lord and ours. It is a picture of being a Christian. And so when we describe unity, it's the kind of unity that the President of the United States cannot stand up and call us to. It's the kind of unity only Jesus can stand and call us to. We are not Unitarians. We do not believe that all people are united just by nature of being people. No, we are separated by our faith in Christ. We do not have the same Lord as the culture around us. And here is actually what's interesting. Ironically, the church at Corinth had perhaps more unity in some ways with the culture around them than they had with one another. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. And isn't it true that that happens in the church today? We find ourselves more in unity with the culture around us and adopting their worldview and their priorities and their way of life. But we can't get along under the banner of Christ. Is Christ divided? Certainly not. And so we must... Live in unity with one another because of the gospel that binds us and it's greater than anything that could divide us. So then, what is the gospel doing among us? It's an important question, right? 
We need to know what the gospel is doing, what the good news of Jesus, his death, burial and resurrection, his work to redeem himself a people. What is that doing among us that actually brings us together? Six things this morning. Number one. And if you're a Christian, this is who you are. Number one, God has called me into a right relationship with him. God has called me into a right relationship with him. So verse two, right there in the middle, kind of that core identity in the middle and everything else gets built on this, right? Called to be saints. Called to be saints. Those who were sinners have now become saints because of the calling of God. That's the picture. There's a couple of things you need to notice in that. One of those is that it wasn't me who came calling God. It is God who came calling me. I don't enter into a right relationship with God because I do anything right. I enter into a right relationship with God because God Himself has taken the initiative to move me from the place of sinner to saint. And how is it that God is calling us out of the darkness into His marvelous light? He does so by the death of His Son. God who is rich in mercy, when we deserved death, when we deserved judgment, when we deserved to be separated, not in unity with Him, not in relationship with Him, He called us out of that by putting His Son in the place that we deserve to be. Jesus went to the cross to take my penalty and your penalty on Himself. He died the death that I deserved so that instead of being separated from Him, right, this, this eternal chasm between me and God has now been eliminated because of Christ. So the first unity that we ever experience is union with Christ. He has taken the very thing that separates me from God, my sin, and He has cast it as far as the east is from the west. He's forgiven it. And He said, I am willing, I am willing to set your sin upon Christ and to declare you righteous if you will put your faith in Him. You'll just trust Him. There's nothing you could ever do. If it were up to just living righteously, you would know only sin, you would know only separation from God, but but. By God's grace, because He is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, He saved us. He called us out of the darkness into light. And so there is a right relationship with Him. And He justified us. He said, no longer sinner, but saint. Friends, you don't pray to a saint to get to God. You become a saint because Jesus has got you to God. You get to know Him if you're a follower of Christ. If it was up to me, I I never would have made it. The impossibility of restoring a sinner to God. See this. And Christ has done it. God has called me into a right relationship with Him. Secondly, 
He's not only called me into this relationship where I'm saved and I know Jesus. He's set my life apart for His purpose. Set my life apart for His purpose. We're called to be saints. Then He adds this phrase to it, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints. That's the... That's the description of the ones now who are saints. We're sanctified. What does the word sanctified mean? Well, a couple of things. You don't just become a saint, you're becoming a saint. You're not just declared holy, you're becoming holy. Right? So there's a, a sense in which every day of our lives we are being sanctified. And that is true. God is making us more into the image of Jesus. But this picture, this picture is set apart once and for all. Sanctified is done. To to sanctify something is to set it apart from something else. In this case, to set apart a sinner from his sin, from a life separated from God, to a life of righteousness, to a life that that is following Jesus. For the sake of His glory. We once lived a life for our own purposes. We once lived a life that was for what we wanted, our pleasure. We once lived a life that was for all the pleasures of the culture. But now, we have been set apart to a particular purpose. Namely, His. Sanctified in Christ Jesus. It's happened in Christ. It's the only way it could happen. Because apart from Christ, I'm nothing. And God has set my life apart for His purpose. Cleansed by His blood and now appointed to His purpose. It's a beautiful thing. If you're here this morning, you need to understand. You're a believer. You need to understand that your life is no longer your own. You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. That you have been born again, created new for good works in Christ Jesus. It's the whole point of your life now. It's not to to be saved and get your fire insurance and go back to doing what you want to do until Jesus comes back or until you die and go to heaven. That's not the call. The call is my life's not my own. My life has been set apart for a bigger thing, a gospel thing. And I don't know what that looks like, but I'm willing every single day of my life to take my first breath in the mornings awake and to lay my head on my pillow knowing that I spent the day to the glory of God. It's the call. I've been set apart. Not only have I been called into a right relationship, And has my life been set apart for His purpose? God has now gathered me together with other believers in this church. Number three. God has gathered me together with other believers in this church. Now remember, he's writing to Corinth. And he says, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth. There's an expectation that if you're a Christian, you're going to hear this letter, and you're going to hear this letter not just because you sit at home in front of the televangelist, 
Not because you, you go to a connect group now and again, and not because you serve in a particular nonprofit in your community, but there's an expectation that the whole church is going to gather and they're going to hear the Word of God. Because this universal church has a local expression. And it's not just, hey, universal church. It is local church in view of the bigger picture. There's an expectation in the New Testament that a person be not only involved, but united to a local expression of the church. That's how ministry happens. That's how needs are met. That's how accountability is fostered. That's how community takes place. That's how we encourage one another in the Word. That's how the Word is preached. That's how song and congregational singing happens through a local expression of the church. And so God has united you this morning to Southwide Baptist Church. You might call it the church at Coy Burgess and Millard Ganey. This local expression is where you are a member. And if that's you this morning, God has united you to this church for His purpose. We've got to live that out in every way that He calls us to. Because it is a proud thing to be a part of a local church. It is a gift to be a part of a local church. Church, God has graciously given you people that you get along with and people you don't get along with in order to continue what he did in number two, uh, number three, sanctify you according to his word. It's a precious gift. Doesn't always feel like a gift, does it? Some of you are going, preach on preacher. Doesn't always feel like a gift. But it's a gift. And God in His goodness. It's a burden. It's a precious burden. To be able to love one another so much. That your burden is my burden. That your tears are my tears. Your joy is my joy. And when you're going through something that I don't sleep at night. And when you celebrate a baby, a marriage, we celebrate that together. It's a gift. Don't neglect the gift. God has united our, united or gathered me together rather with other believers in this church. But that's too small. It's just that. Right? Because that misses the first three verses. Fourth, God has united our church together with the universal church. And this is so cool. Because at the same time, assuming their services are at the same time this morning, there are 30-something churches, Southern Baptist churches alone, gathering in Walton County for the purpose of worshiping and adoring Jesus. Somebody's going to get saved in one of those churches by God's grace. 
Those churches are going to celebrate the cool things that God is doing among them by His grace. Pleasant Ridge is going to celebrate the birth of a new school so that children learn about Jesus. Anchor is going to celebrate all the people that they are baptizing. First is going to celebrate the the work that God has been doing through their education for, for a number of years now. There's going to be things that are celebrated all across these churches. Listen, it's bigger than any one of us can do alone. And not just Walton County, but the state of Florida. You expand that beyond our denomination, because by the way, more than just Southern Baptists are going to be in heaven. You expand it. Man, you couldn't write books about what God is doing. You couldn't, wouldn't contain it, like John said. Wouldn't even contain it. And that's just this year. What about church history? What about the days ahead? God is doing some amazing things. We don't have time to bicker about menial things. We don't. And God has given us the unique joy of being a part of that church. of Celebrating with them what God is doing. Of carrying their burdens with them. Of praying for them. You'll see a church right there on our prayer guide. And you should be praying for Anchor Church. As God does a work there in Freeport. He's united our church together with the universal church. A little bigger than that, number five, God has set His Son's reign over us as His people. Okay, so I gave you the phrase, together with all those in every place who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen that. That's the universal church. Corinth in light of them. But He says, both their Lord and ours. Part of being a Christian is confessing the reality that Jesus' reign is over His church. This is my church and I'm proud to say that. Not because I lead it, but because I'm a part of it. But ultimately, do you know whose church Southside Baptist Church is? It's Jesus' church. He's the King. And His reign extends over every church. We're just one expression of... Of the kingly reign of Jesus in the world. Jesus is bringing all things to submission to Him. And one day He will be seated on the throne. And the church universal receiving crowns will lay them at the feet of Jesus. As we cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Our King's reign is being established in all the earth. And we get to be a part of the kingdom. God has set His Son's reign over us as His people. Their Lord, our Lord, and we all serve the same Lord. And number six. God is accomplishing His will through us together. Paul, who was one of the most influential leaders of the New Testament church, and we know this, we have most of his... um, His journeys recorded in Scripture. We have much of his teaching here. The reality of Paul leading in a way that was totally counter to the way he was going in his life. God called him from being a murderer to being a a preacher. And it says in verse 1 that he was called by the will of God. It wasn't because Paul was the smartest or the strongest or anything else. It was just because God wanted him to do it. And he wasn't alone. He was called to be an apostle, and he didn't write alone Sosthenes. 
who now is a follower of Jesus. And the church at Corinth who had a mission. And the church at Galatia who had a mission. God has seen fit to take all of these different pieces all the different parts of his church and to say, I'm going to use this one and 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 this one. And and together, I'm going to bring them together to accomplish my will. That's what he intends. It means every one of us, every single one of us, God is accomplishing his will through, not because we are anything special, but because what God has chosen to do. And that is Far more glorious. When I get to heaven, I won't boast of how good I am, but I will spend forever forever boasting of how good Jesus is. That's what we experience when we're together. And so this is what God is doing through the gospel. And the gospel that unites us is so much greater than anything that could ever divide us. Now, it's not enough to stop there because there are specific issues that we fight over. There were specific issues that Corinth fought over. And yet I love this phrase. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May His grace sustain us as we strive to be united in the one thing that matters so that everything else could not even begin to divide us. With every head bowed, every eye closed. To those who are in Christ this morning, that's a wonderful, wonderful phrase. Grace and peace. Grace to sustain you even when the battle seems to wage around you and within you and among us. And peace, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, the the peace of God that will rule our hearts and we can cling to that promise. And so if you're in Christ this morning, Jesus has offered you that promise. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not in Jesus. You're not in Christ. You don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And Jesus today is calling you into a right relationship with Him. It will not be by anything you've done, but only by what Christ has done on the cross. Maybe you're here this morning and you are at odds with someone in this room. You're in conflict, active conflict historical conflict, some disagreement, and you've let it eat at you. It's taken hold of you and become bitterness. It's time to get your perspective right. To get a proper perspective. See the gospel as of first importance. And to go and make that right. To those of you here this morning who may or may not be together, with a local church. Not become united to a church and God has been moving upon your heart and calling you to join and be an active part. Maybe this is the day for that as you obey Christ. And whatever the case is this morning, we respond in obedience to what Jesus 
has said. So all across the room, would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray. This morning you come. This altar will be open. I'll be down front. Lead you to Jesus. Pray with you. Whatever you need. You just respond to the Lord. Father, I pray that you'd have your way in our hearts. That we would be obedient to you. That your word would bring fruit in our lives. And that you would be honored. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning. Dylan leads us. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.